Hi, and welcome back to This Week in Voice, Season 8, Episode 2. My name is Bradley Metrock. I'm CEO of Project Voice. We've got Project Voice 2023 coming up in late April. Uh, you'll see that link in the YouTube notes, in the podcast notes. Check that out if you don't know what that is. Uh, you'll want to uh, you'll want to learn uh, because it's a conference that is shaping up well, um, and uh, we're excited uh, about it. About twenty five hundred attendees or so, and uh, uh, you will be talking much more about it on the show to come today. We're fortunate to have uh, just a fantastic panel of guests to discuss three key stories. And Molly, I'm going to start with you. Um, take a moment. Tell us who you are. Tell us who you're with. And you're on mute. Thank you for the introduction, Bradley. And thank you for asking me to join you at this week in voice. I'm excited to be part of the discussion today along with such a terrific panel of guests. My personal focus is finding the perfect blend between technology and humanity. I lead a creative technology agency called Molly Dugan Associates, and we're dedicated to helping clients connect with their customers while enabling growth through their brand touch points. So whether we're building or supporting our clients' most valuable marketing asset, their website, or creating meaningful and personalized conversations with conversational marketing, we're focused on our clients' growth, and we help organizations develop human-centric digital ecosystems that continuously inspire customers along the buying journey with innovative strategic approaches and best practices. Best practices. And I just want to say thank you again, Bradley, and to the panel for welcoming, to, welcoming me today. Molly, it's fantastic to have you on the show, and everything you're doing is so impressive and high-end. Thank you for giving us the time. Um, next up is Shamala uh, Priago of NVIDIA. Shamala, it's great to see you. Hey, thank you so much, Bradley. And I'm so excited to be uh, in this episode. So my name is Shamala Priyaga. I'm the Senior Software Product Manager at NVIDIA. Uh, and I lead the conversational AI products effort, mostly around uh, large language models, which we are going to talk about, and uh, also around uh, the uh, custom voices. Uh, so I'm really excited to be here. Uh, about NVIDIA, many people think it's a GPU company, but NVIDIA has been focusing in a lot of more things than just uh, GPUs. Uh, they have a very strong uh, effort going on in the artificial intelligence side of things uh, with the self-driving cars, the conversational AI, the large language models. Uh, we have our own speech recognition technology and text-to-speech technology as well. And in addition to these things, we are also uh, strongly uh, working on the metaverse side of things, creating meta-humans, avatar cloud engine, and all sorts of things. So there's a lot of innovation happening uh, at the company at different levels. And I'm really excited to be here. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's great to have you. Thank you for giving us the time and great to see you on the show. <clears throat> um, next up, Victor from Synthesia. Victor, how are you? I'm great, Bradley. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, thank you. Um, thank, thank you for giving us the time. Tell us who you are. Tell us about Synthesia. Yeah, so I'm Victor, and I am one of the co-founders and the CEO of uh, Synthesia. We're the world's largest platform for AI video generation. So with our platform, you can very simply create video content by simply just typing out the script, selecting an avatar, or creating an avatar of yourself. Wait a few minutes and you have a video um, that's a lot easier to create than having to go out and find a camera, a studio, an actor, and all that jazz. Um, long term, our mission is to enable anyone to make a Hollywood film on a laptop. Uh, I think we're five to eight years away from that. And that's going to be a really, really exciting uh, period in, uh, in time, I think, where we'll see creativity really being unleashed by not just the people with the big budgets and the right connections, but by everyone around the globe. So that's what I'm, uh, I'm super excited about. I love that. Yeah. Uh, well, I think everybody on this panel um, and broadly in the space is interested in sort of the democratization of opportunity. Um, and uh, great to hear you touch on that. Thank you for making the time, Victor. And Freddie, I'll go to you. Uh, Freddie Feldman of Walter, Walter Kluwer's Health. Walter's Kluwer Health. I always <laughs> mess that up. Freddie, it's great to see you. Tell us who you are. Tell us who you're with. Sure, Bradley. Thanks for having me. Um, I'm Freddie Feldman. Uh, Director of Voice and Conversational Interfaces for Walters Kluwer Health. Walters Kluwer is a, a set of Dutch names, so it's a, a, a primarily a, it's a Dutch-based company, Netherlands-based company uh, in the publishing space. Uh, I'm in Walters Kluwer 
Health Clinical Effectiveness Emmy, which uh, I'm here in our Chicago downtown loop office uh, in our sound booth. <laughs> um, and we create patient engagement programs. Uh, they're IVR-based voice interfaces for following up with patients, uh, helping them transition from the hospital back home, uh, long-term care management uh, for, for chronic uh, care management, as well as uh, preventative types of calls, outreach calls that we do uh, to patients, uh, tens of thousands daily. Excellent. Thank you for being on the show as well, Freddie. Sure. Uh, great to Thanks see you. So with that, we're going to get into the news. And this episode is a little <laughs> bit different than usual because we've got three stories instead of four, uh, an editorial choice designed to give us a little bit more time to discuss them because they're significant. Um, I'm going to read story number one, which is from voicebot.ai. Huge surprise there out loud. Soundtown raises $25 million weeks after major layoffs. So, um, <laughs> you know, I, I just have to laugh at, at how the headline is presented. I think it's, you know, I love everything VoiceBot does. Everybody knows that. We always use their stuff. But it's super controversial in this space right now. Um, everything that's gone on with Soundhound over the last 12 to 18 months. I'm going to go in the same order to start as we just went through with the introduction. So, Molly, I'm going to start with you. When you looked at this, you know, you've been uh, paying attention to this space uh, for quite a while. Um, and, uh, you know, you, you've seen a lot of companies come and go um, and you've seen the growth of the space. How does this story strike you with... Uh, not only where Soundtown sits, but this whole angle of it of letting people go and having a fundraise contingent on that and all that stuff. Share with me your thoughts. Yeah, Bradley, I think, you know, initially when you see a story like that, your first reaction is, what is the reason that uh, the, we're leading with this negative and, and letting people go? Um, the benefit, of course, is often to make the company more cost effective and then make it more um, readily purchasable. So make it more attractive to investors or to somebody that might want to purchase the company. I think that when we look at whether or not the, you know, the, the software or the offering is, is beneficial. I mean, in this case, it's, it's a great offering. There's so many opportunities that one might want to use this in. And so I think that whether they are leading with having layoffs or not, the, the offering is positioned at the right time in the, in the market, in the space for everything that is hot right now. So personalization, integration, um, natural language, language processing, um, all of that is really a, a, a hot area. I love what they're doing with um, the hospitality space. And so, you know, I would say that they're in the right spot. Um, either way, headline that might be a little or controversial or sensationalized, I don't know if that's going to matter with the, with the, you know, the interest in the space right now. I'm going to ask you one additional thing before I go on to the rest of the panel, just because everything your agency does, you know, you're, you're, it's very thoughtful, it's very empathetic. What is the responsibility of a company to an employee? Um, is there is there any? Um, is there to uh, allow them to grow? Um, is it to um, pay them if they have to sever them at some point? Like what what is what is the responsibility a modern day company, uh, especially a venture backed one, has to an employee? Especially when you have companies that are startups or they're asking a lot of their employees in the initial stage when they work long hours or they're giving a lot of themselves to that effort. Um, it, it's important to have the right package. There is, you know, there is an obligation, I believe, to make sure that that separation is done in a way that's empathetic and is thinking about the investment that that employee has made. So when when these things happen, whether it's with Salesforce or with others that have been in the news recently, I, you know, especially when the company focuses on the family aspect of the relationship of the employees, I think it's very important, not only for just the right thing to do, to be considerate and compassionate toward that 
employee that's separating, but also for the reputation of the brand and how the brand is managing the treatment of its employees. So you have a couple of things, just what's the right thing to do and deliver a package that makes that a softer landing for that employee that is separated from the company, but also look at the long-term reputation, brand, and everything around the values that the organization represents, because it all shows in how you treat the employees. I love that. Yeah. So thank you for allowing me to ask you sort of a quick follow-up there. And Shamala, I'm going to go to you. So you know Soundtown as well as anybody. Um, and, uh, you know, we've all followed them over the years. Uh, your thoughts on this piece? Yeah. I mean, it's an interesting piece. What I would say is, uh, yeah, uh, I mean, there are two things happening here. One is the layoff, right? Like they did two rounds of layoff, which is interesting. And uh, now they got the investment, which again is not like cash investment, right? It's like uh, one, uh, like it's a stock investment in the sense like they cannot uh, immediately use it, but it's good in the sense that yes, it's going to open up a lot of uh, with the things they are doing in the restaurant and uh, uh, the drive-throughs and all. It's going to be helpful. Uh, so that's interesting part, which shows like the conversational AI has a long way to go and there's still scope and hope given that layoffs also happened with Amazon Alexa team and Google assistant team as well. There was a little bit of, uh, inhibitions and reservations, uh, you know, people had about like, what's the future for conversational AI. So this investment definitely shows that there's scope and, uh, something bigger is coming. So that's good on the layoff piece. Uh, what I feel is, well, the moment company decided to go public, you know, obviously things change. It's not the same thing. Uh, as a startup, you have a little bit more flexibility and, you know, you are not, uh, there's, there's pressure always there, but it's not in the sense like you have to answer to stakeholders or you have to keep pushing for the profits and all. And uh, the stock prices, when they went almost to one, that's when the problem started happening, you know, now, and they want to now make sure that they have uh, enough profits or they have to show they are making profits and all. And that's where the layoffs, uh, uh, you know, happen. It's very common nowadays just to keep the stakeholders happy companies will do it. Right. So, so that's what is happening. What is uh, interesting in all of these things is the two month severance, which was given to the employees, which is like nothing, right? Uh, there's no stocks, no other benefits, no insurance and all. So I feel like uh, that, that's where, you know, a little bit of negativity comes into play. Like, should we trust the company uh, when all the good things are happening and there's so much investment and effort going on when a company does something like that? So that's, that's where, you know, my mind goes uh, listening to a news like this. Yeah. And, you know, you touched on the the uh, going public and, the you know, of course, the way they went public is, is controversial. The sort of the reverse IPO, I forget what exactly that's called, where you buy, you know, they create the shell company and then the shell company goes public and the shell company uses the proceeds to, in effect, buy the company. So the, the underlying asset of the company, you know, the underlying company that's public now never really had the same scrutiny. Um, and there's a lot of uh, you know, a lot of negative, not negativity around that. And some people want to make that illegal uh, on top of it, which is interesting. So appreciate you touching on all of that. Victor, I'm going to go to you. Um, it, you know, obviously you're uh, CEO of a venture-backed company. Um, you know, interesting story here. Uh, your thoughts. Yeah, look, I, th I think that the entire tech industry is suffering from a bit of a hangover after uh, more or less five years of just pure rally on the stock market, right? Um, we're seeing that pan out even for, for good businesses who do layoffs because they overhired over the last couple of years. And now investors look a lot less on the growth potential and a lot more on the actual unit economics of your business, right? I don't know SoundHound in detail, um, but uh, if, they, if they went IPO with us back, they probably are in the category of companies that is maybe a bit too early to be a public company. And uh, that that was maybe fun two years ago, but it's, it's less fun in an environment like we're in right now, where especially the types of investors who buy public stocks, right, they're very focused on metrics and a lot less on vision and cool technology. So I'd guess that, that there is an element of that uh, in, in that. I also think that there is an interesting, we're an interesting period in time where the breakthroughs in AI, the last six months have been absolutely uh, amazing. 
it's a very fast moving space. And I think the next couple of years we'll see the winners emerge. Um, with these type of technologies, I think what we see, right, is that the sort of advance in steps is less of a straight line. Like you get something like diffusion models, which has now become very popularized over the last six months, large language models that just completely changes the game, right? And I think there's a lot of those companies that have been around for a long time that really run the risk of being locked into legacy technology that's going to be completely outcompeted by new starters or existing companies who can now build these features very easily. So something like speech recognition, for example, we saw Whisper being released by OpenAI, uh, open source model for automatic speech recognition, which I think from at least our internal test seems to like beat 98% of the providers in the market today, right? And that's something everyone can pick up, launch some servers, and you can start building a product around it. So I think maybe there's also a feeling among investors that they're not going to run those companies. I don't know. But uh, I think there is a lot of scrutiny uh, in these types of companies, even if the opportunity is, is obviously uh, very, very large. SPAC was the term I was looking for. Thank you. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> um, no, that, yeah. I mean, that's great, com great commentary. And... Um, uh, that's one of the reasons we did the industry landscape map that we came out with uh, that, that's that's out there that, you know, there's there's all these companies who want to eat your lunch, you know, every day. And uh, yeah. I think you, we already have 100 to 200 more companies that want to go on that, 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 that visual visual we've created. And, um, you know, it's it's uh, I don't know how anybody working in this space does anything else other than sleep with one eye open because it's it's uh, the competitiveness is sky high. And you touched on that. And and I, I thought it was a great point. Uh, Freddie, I'm going to go to you. Um, heard three fantastic uh, and, and very insightful takes on this. I want to get your opinion. You know, you know, SoundHound as well. Uh, you've been around this space as long as anybody. Uh, your thoughts. Well, I, I, one thing I wanted to like address because you you had asked about like um, the relationship between the employee and the company too, and as someone who has gotten that very early morning phone call from a CEO saying, "Hey, we can't pay you anymore," <laughs> um, I, I've I've had the layoff call before um, a few times, and because startups are exciting, um, and it, it's really cool, but. Uh, it goes kind of in a couple that you could look at it a couple different ways. People are like, well, they can let you go at any point. So, but we have to give notice if we're going to leave. Right. And so um, it doesn't always feel so even, but at the same time you spend most of your day and you receive probably all of your income from this one, you know, with this one company, with this one source, when you're, when you're working for a company. And so, um, I think I can't remember who had said it earlier, but like uh, when it comes to like severance packages and sort of how that landing is created for you um, and how the empathy is um, is conveyed from the company is really important. You get companies like uh, Twitter who, you know, you you just find your access is cut off and, and is sort of unceremoniously let go um, <clears throat> versus and I can't remember who it was. I want to say Apple recently had to let some people go but also um you know they had cuts at the top as far as you know salary so it's like showing that we're we're doing something about it internally as well not just like letting everybody go and also maybe giving people and i feel like it was microsoft recently who gave people like quite a long runway um and notice you know it's like it's going to be you know within the next six months or a year we're going to have to eliminate this this and this so you're aware you know like to give people as much room as possible and obviously giant companies have that uh luxury of being able to do it they don't always take advantage of it but um you know and and the problem is with with a company like soundhound is that i mean it's crowded space right and like you had said anyone any one of these other larger organizations can wake up one morning and be like hey i'm gonna we're gonna release this and just to play around and it kills this this this, this all these companies off right um and we've seen it, you know, with Amazon, we've seen it with Apple, um, Google. So I think it's uh it's a tough place, but I think the investment is promising, right? And so it shows that there's future. I think it's it's tricky when you when you come off of layoffs though, right? Because they let go, I think the first round was like maybe 10%, but then that second batch was like another 50 <laughs> or something like that percent. Um, and then everyone let left left to to 
pick up the slack um and the the you know how the morale the morale is afterwards is going to be pretty hard to make up even with saying oh well we've got this 25 million dollar investment because it's not cash right and so it's not like oh we're going to just give everybody who stayed around bumps um and, and things like that and perks and stock and, and and things like that so it's uh i don't know it's definitely a tricky space and i think you know the layoffs right now are kind of nuts and uh you know as i'm knocking on looking for wood to knock on here um sometimes nicer to be at a, a larger company for a change <laughs> well it's uh you touched on a lot of things i mean you touched yes. on you know the um the the one cut and then a bigger cut right after right after that like that is that's that's a unique circumstance of this story mm-hmm. uh the spac uh and a bunch of money flowing into the company uh in a in a way not everybody's 100% comfortable with in this country uh is part of the story um you know the the um I have a little bit different view on the severance, I guess, because I, I you know, it, I, if you've only worked at a company for a little bit of time, you know, I think the company's got a little bit more bandwidth with you. But I'll tell you what, in this mm-hmm. situation, um, SoundHound, um, and I don't really want to go into a lot of specifics on this, but you, when in a situation like this, where there's layoffs or any sort of growth or change, you look to see how the lifers are treated. The people who have been there for a long period of time, who have mm-hmm. rocked with the founders from the beginning, and uh, those are your canaries in a coal mine <laughs> for what's really going on. And this was not a good situation in that regard at all. Yeah. So um, you know, it's uh, it's interesting. You know, I think there's a lot of hope for the company. I like Kayvon. I like the management team, but um, you know, they've uh, they got their work cut out for them. Any closing comments on this before we move on to the second story? Okay. So yeah, it is what it is. Um, story number two, this is from Mashable. <clears throat> OpenAI reportedly tests chat GPT pro what we know about the paid version. So um, obviously everybody talking chat GPT, you know, it's the, it's um it's a lightning rod for all the all the right reasons. I, I chose this story in particular. Um, it covers a lot of ground, but I think it's fascinating how this company is deciding w- what they're going to go to market with um, and the pricing and some of the other aspects of it. Shamala, I'm going to start with you and then go in the same order um, to, to Victor, Freddie, and then to Molly. Um, your thoughts on... You know, feel free to give us some general thoughts on ChatGPT, but specifically as far as this story goes and ChatGPT Pro and what they're going to market with, uh, how does it strike you? Yeah, it's an interesting thing, uh, not a surprise, because, yeah, of course, uh, uh, you know, they have been doing a lot of good things. OpenAI has a lot more things, and ChatGPT was one of the best, I would say. And uh, the reason why they kept it open in the beginning felt like, you know, they were trying and testing the ground and what, like what's happening and what kind of things people will be asking. And it's not a surprise to see all the different use cases and things people have been using it. For example, PRDs or writing a poem. I, I use ChatGPT for, uh, you know, like uh, writing stories so that I can tell bedtime story to my son every day saying AI has generated this story and, you know, listen to this. So, you know, people are using for all of these things. So all of a sudden, it was interesting to see that uh, people have so many different needs uh, to do. I just recently heard like uh, uh, GPT helped clear an MBA test, which is like one of the difficult tests, right? So these kind of things are uh, showing like there's more value on the consumer side of things. People want to use it for uh, content generation or conversational AI chatbot or PRDs or uh, uh, writing a book outline or things like that. So the use cases are endless, right? So that's obvious. Like uh, the moment you think about large language models, there's a lot of computing, there's a lot of uh, 
things happening, but it's limited in its uh, capabilities, right? And that's where uh, bringing the pro, because they have seen people will use it if they see the value and they showed the value with the free version. And almost every day I tried testing ChatGPT for different use cases. It was like we are at capacity and we are trying to increase our uh, uh, capacity. So standby or things like that. There were time when, uh, you know, the system was out. So that shows like there's a lot of demand, people will be using it. So uh, for them to move on to uh, adding a pro version with a lot more enhancements, allowing customization of uh, or fine tuning of a certain use case uh, felt very really natural. And of course, uh, uh, that will give them more backup depending on uh, how people are using, how many people will be there. That will give them more capacity as well uh, to think about the computing or how much they need on the inference side of things, right? So um, this is an interesting story and uh, I really liked it. And they, you know, listed out all the differences between the pro and uh, also the free version, which was really interesting to think about. Uh, like there are uh, not significant difference, but there are some minute differences, which is really interesting to see like fine tuning, right? Or uh, a more uh, customized uh, kind of uh, conversations or more context specific conversations and things like that. So definitely an interesting thing. And uh, also with uh, Microsoft investing in ChatGPT, that's an interesting thing. Like there's a long road ahead of the large language models. No, that was great. Yeah. So um, interesting to hear your thoughts on that. And and Victor, I'm going to go to you. Obviously, with everything you're doing with Synthesia, you know, you have pricing conversations. It's critical. And, and I will throw in, I saw a story, this is a while back, that uh, OpenAI was losing $3 million a day for running ChatGPT. And who's to say if that's correct, but even if the even if the actual amount is something different, does it really matter? Like you're, there's only so long you can do anything on that scale. So as you look at this story, uh, would love to get your thoughts. Yeah, I, I don't think that number is off. I think it might even be a lot higher. Um, I think outside of, of stating the obvious, right? It's uh, it's it's amazing technology. I think everyone is is mind blown when they use it the first time. But for me, what's really interesting is seeing people who not AI nerds, like I think everyone this call is, continue using it, right? I have family members who are not technologists who tried it once and they keep using it. And I think that's the sign of of something that's that's truly gonna change the world. Um, I think a few interesting learnings. Um, I think one is how much like user interface matters. The core technology behind ChatGPT has been available for at least a year before they released ChatGPT, right? Uh, it was much more of a like developer interface. It wasn't like super difficult to use. Um, and there's definitely a lot of people using it to create cool experiences. But the thing they did was really just take that technology, simplify it, put it into this like messenger style UX, right? Where even if I show, you know, my mom who's not very technical, she'll inst instantly understand it, right? Because everyone has had a chat, um, has, has had a chat message with someone else. And I think that's a really, really valuable lesson for people building these products. The UX really, really matters, right? It's a very simple change from the product that had been released for a year before that, but this is the thing that just propelled them into uh, mass adoption, which I think is super cool. The other lesson uh, that's interesting, we talked a little bit about that before, but big companies who all of a sudden release a feature or a particular technology that has a huge impact on, the, on startups and the market, there's a lot of companies who had essentially taken GPT free and wrapped it in a nice user interface, kind of like OpenAI did, um, and offered that. And some of those companies got really big, right? We have Jasper, for example, they raised on a $1.5 billion valuation very recently. We have Copy AI, there's a million companies like that. And I bet you that they're sitting at home right now on their sweating because OpenAI basically took their product, built a 10 times better version of it, and offered it initially for free. Now it's gonna be a paid plan, but I think they'll have a very difficult time building a compelling enough product so that people will stay. Um, and I think it just kind of proves the point that in AI, uh, it is you have to really think hard about how you're differentiating your product and how defensible your technology actually is, right? I don't think anyone necessarily knows the answers to that yet. There's one answer, which is you go purely on the front end. You don't develop any of the sort of really difficult technologies. You just use what's available and wrap it nicely. Or you go 
somewhere in the middle where you fine tune models, you maybe train them for a specific use case and be the best in the world of that. But this like general approach, I don't think it's gonna pan out well for them in the next couple of years. Um, and the third, I think is just really for me, what, what, what I find most exciting about this is that this is the start of having something that resembles human intelligence embedded in like every single product that we're gonna use. So we're launching our integration uh, in the next month, which basically is like, you just type out, make a video about, uh, you know, phishing training, cybersecurity one-on-one, something like that. And we'll just, or GPT will just like write the entire script, put together the layout. And then you as the human, instead of having to sit down and come up with everything from scratch, you're just editing, right? You already have 80% of the end result that you want. And I think there's so many other use cases. This will be, will be, will be transformational. And I'm just really excited to see where it's going to go, right? We're still so early, but um, they definitely cracked open uh, Pandora's box. And the next year is going to be wild, especially in combination with with all the other cool stuff that's going on, like Sudesia, of course, but also Stable Diffusion, DALI. Like the world's going to be a very different place in a couple of years, and I think ChatGPT is like that. That kind of is going to be the catalyst. You touched on a lot of uh, you. You made a lot of great points in there, and touched on a lot of different things. And and I I um, you know people people talk about ChatGPT and they want to say you know. It, um, you, we want to give OpenAI their props, right? They they deserve a lot of credit for uh, just synthesizing a lot of nuance and elevating this thing up. But you you have to snap yourself. You have to keep yourself from thinking about it in like it's permanent. You know, as quickly as OpenAI made a gazillion headlines it's going to be somebody else tomorrow and um that's that's a hard mental framework to stay in with everything that chat gpt has managed to accomplish but you're sort of touching on that in there and i just really liked how you assessed that uh we lost freddie i don't know where he went so molly i'm going to go to you um i i with everything that you do you know creatively and with your your agency you you know, you you um, you live at that that intersection point um, with technology in society, and we've seen some of these inflection points before, where something has been so profound that it's changed the way that society looks at things, like the iPod, for example. Um, you know, there's other examples. Um, I really want to get your thoughts on ChatGPT generally, but also share with me your thoughts uh, as, as uh, you know, if you have specific ones about the story too. Yeah, well, Bradley, I think that it's it's a fascinating technology. One of the reasons why it's so important, I think, is is because of that low barrier of adoption in terms of being able to access it with little technical skill set. So. That is pretty fascinating. So the interface, of course, is, is important. But the capacity of what can be done with um, OpenAI, with the chat GPT, is almost limitless. I mean, I don't think that there are a lot of boundaries around it. I think it, the boundaries are based on your ability to think about the possibilities. So the connecting the dots moment where you're looking at this technology and you're thinking, could I use it for that? Could I use it as an assistant? Could I use it as a way to collaborate, to bounce ideas, to test concepts, to change the voice of content? So I might want a friendly voice for a particular piece of content, but I might have written it in a very serious and professional tone. So what happens when that content is written in a totally different style? I mean, that's just content. The other is just thinking about comparisons or sentiment. So I know that the paid version is supposed to be better at sentiment analysis, but the current free version is pretty good at it. I did a test and um, you know, tried to come up with a neutral statement and wanted it to score on a, you know, a scale of zero to 10, one being, you know, the zero being the, the, the worst and the 10 being the most positive. And I knew that I was at about 70% with my statement. It came back with an analysis of a neutral statement, but when it was scored, it was a 70% in terms of being more positive, which was 100% accurate in terms of my statement that I entered. 
So I think that the um, the paid version may have improvements for business productivity in terms of you don't have the blackout periods, um, but the speed is fast. So again, I think that the use cases are so broad that I think it's an incredibly exciting um, tool to use and business productivity, creativity, uh, market testing, um, focus group testing, sentiment. Uh, I just can't even list the, the number of things I can think I would use it for. That's great. Yeah. And, and I feel the same way. It's, it's, it's almost like, um, you know, fire, you know, it's like we, we could do anything you do anything you want to with this. And, and you just have to figure out how to sort of narrow the scope um, to, to uh, maximally take advantage of, of the opportunity that's presented. And uh, Freddie, uh, sorry, your laptop crashed. Uh, glad you're back with us. <laughs> yes, um, uh, these things happen. Yeah. So we're talking chat GPT, talking the yep. story, uh, have had some great comments, want to get your thoughts as well. Sure. Um, I've been playing with it. I get a lot of questions around here as to what the heck we're going to do with it. Um, what can we do with it? I think with the the pro version, I think it's natural and it's uh, an obvious, you know, sort of thing is like, well, you can't give it away for free. There's otherwise the free model. I mean, it's not ad supported. It's not sponsored in any way. Like uh, someone's paying for it. Right. And at the tune of 3 million a day or whatever, you can't sustain that for too long. Um, I think the, uh, the one size fits all is interesting though, that they didn't break it up into tiers. Um, there's just pro or free. Um, so I'm kind of curious about the limit on, uh, the pro, uh, for 40 bucks a month or 42 a month. Um, are there, are you going to run into limits, if, especially on the API side, right? So when you're starting to do it, it, the pro, I believe offers API now, right? So you would be integrating this into something that could potentially be throwing quite a bit of traffic through it. And, um, and you're promising the uptime and everything, uh, that you're not getting on the free side. Right. So, uh, for 42 bucks, is it, is it, you know, are you going to start getting some sort of power users that are going to be overwhelming the system and things like that? But, um, and there's no, uh, 42 is kind of big for, for some use. I think one nice thing is it'll weed out at least you won't, you won't get too many. I've got two high school students, right? So in my house and uh, so you won't get too many kids at least using it uh, for uh, papers and things like that. Uh, <laughs> if they could maybe limit the free even a little bit more, that would be nice. Um, or come up with some more tools on the pro. It might be something where I would pay as a parent to be able, or as a teacher to be able to, um, if they provided detection tools, right, in the pro version uh, to make it more easily detectable, uh, the use of it and things like that. But I think I think it's amazing. I think uh, as generative AI, it's great. I think when people keep calling it a chatbot, it drives me crazy. Um, but uh, I think uh, it's pretty cool stuff. <clears throat> yeah. So um, uh, it would be nice. You know, I think there's going to be a whole cottage industry of companies that provide content verification um, in this yeah. AI era um, because it, it really can't, in my estimation, it ought to come from a third party rather than OpenAI itself. Like OpenAI can provide something and I think maybe that's like a good olive branch or like place to start, but Really, that needs to come from a, a, a trusted third party or or better yet, several of them um, that you could choose from. And uh, yeah, because with like education alone, um, education just changed overnight, you know, that GPT coming out. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And, uh, it, that's wild to think about. Um and it, it gets even crazier to think about what might be next, you know, and we were talking about, uh, you know, with Victor's comments, just uh, things can change in the blink of an eye and chat GPT is a good illustration of that, but it's, it's wise just to sort of think about what's next. So all these comments are great. I want to sort of open the floor to any closing comments because story number three is not going to take us uh, a long time with how we're going to cover that. Any closing comments or anything else on your mind? about chat GPT or open AI before we move on? 
Yeah, so one thing, uh, I was just reading the terms and conditions uh, yesterday. And one thing which, uh, you know, was very interesting is they said, uh, you own the copyright of the content generated. Uh, so it's interesting to see, uh, or in my mind, you know, um, I think about it like, yeah, if it is a free version and it is generating, there are only X number of possibilities of how a content will be generated, right? So uh, how does that lead into the copywriting and legalities? Pro version, of course, when you bring your own data set and fine tune a certain thing, you know, it becomes yours. So that's a different thing. But it will be interesting to see uh, how uh, the legalities comes into play uh, with how the content is generated and is being used. Yeah, total agreement. Um, any other comments, Victor? Yeah, I would just say I think it's it's a fascinating discussion around like kids in school using chat GPT. I remember when I was when I was in school, we were not allowed to use Wikipedia because that was definitely not like a source of truth. You had to use a physical lexicon or encyclopedia to to uh, uh, to get your information, which is interesting, right? Because that's obviously not the way the world works today. I had a friend of mine who who said it's interesting that we are banning chat GPT in schools while their parents are using it at, at work. And I think that statement is interesting because we're kind of like, is it chat GPT that needs to change or is it the way we teach in schools that needs to change? Uh, I'll leave that question be open, but I think I think with all these things, right, it's like the world when they go out eventually and going to get a job, they're going to be using these tools. So I, I would really hope that schools embrace these technologies and obviously plagiarism is a real issue, but then maybe the way that we, you know, evaluate performance in schools is less about turning in a 400 uh, word essay and more about being able to explain what that essay actually means and, you know, all those other things that we, you would be expected to do in, in a work environment. So, um, but it's really interesting. I mean, it's going to change so many elements of society. And I think the, the thing that's, that's wild about these technologies now is how fast they're moving, right? This is like every six months, the landscape significantly changes, um, which is quite different from uh, from previous technologies that has taken like decades to be truly kind of integrated in society. So um, yeah, well, interesting it's, times. It's, it's put the, the cabal of standardized testing organizations under a lot of heat. Uh, whether it's, uh, you know, the, I think somebody mentioned, you know, the chat GPT passing the medical license exam. I think it's passed some other exams, but, uh, you know, standardized tests have been kind of a known problem um, for, a, for a while. Uh, they just, it's square peg round hole. Like they don't really like help the exacerbate equity problems. Uh, they do all of these things that uh, are unintended negative consequences. And ChatGPT showed up and you just can't play by the same rules with that that tool being available. So I'm I'm fascinated by that as well as everything else. But uh, no, I've, great comments all the way around. And I, I suspect this isn't the last time we're going to be talking about ChatGPT on this show. I've got a, got a hunch about that. Um, story number three, and we'll close with this. I'm going to read this headline from TechCrunch. Alexa funds Paul Bernard talks open AI, what's catching his eye and remaining relevant as Amazon restructures. So um, I want to get just a brief reaction from everybody. Um, and uh, Victor, I'm going to start with you, go to Freddie, Molly, and then close with you, Shamala. Um Interesting. This interview covers a lot of ground. I want to get just from each panelist, hit me with the one thing that Amazon needs to do with Alexa to make it, it, it to, it's not irrelevant, but to keep it relevant in this vastly changing uh, landscape. You know, it, it's sort of, it's, it's a nice, um, it feels like we came to sort of a clean end of a, of book one in a story, right? Like Alexa sort of had this rise and they had this fall and now they're sort of like lurking, uh, waiting to make their return. What's the number one thing they need to do? Victor, uh, love to hear your thoughts. It's a good question. Um, one thing I'm excited about and I think they should do more of is to actually create content with AI as well. So of course, I think most people consider Alexa to be more like a navigation system. Um, I think we'll see with the increase in quality of text-to-speech devices that we've already seen and we'll see even more of this year. Apple just released their uh, audiobooks that's generated by AI as well. I think there's a huge opportunity for them to uh, to go full on into this space. 
uh, and really start to produce very interesting experiences that doesn't necessarily have to be linear with uh, generative uh, voice. And I think it's one of those areas where there's like definitely good ideas out there about like what new experiences does voice unlock. Um, but I think it really requires someone to take the charge on that. And that means someone who's not afraid to invest a lot of money into trying out a lot of different things and figuring out which ones that stick. Feels like we're at the point now with large language models being able to, in more or less real time, uh, generate the script that you require for these experiences, that there is something very, very interesting to be to be discovered there. Um, and I think these big companies, a bit like they've done with streaming, right, should just throw a lot of money into just creating a lot of very weird, strange experiences, really give some creatives like the freedom to just do something crazy and figure out what is there of these, which, which of these kind of voice experiences really stick, right? Is it children's stories? Could that be a huge market in the next couple of years where, you know, the characters in the story kind of match with the, the kid, the kid can like give voice input or something like that. I don't know, but it feels like these technologies, both in terms of like the actual quality and fidelity of the voice, coupled with these like intelligence layers that large language models provide, there's something there, I think, which will give us a bunch of entirely new entertainment experiences. Um, and I think Amazon should try and, and, and rush to be the first ones to figure out which of those types of experiences people really, really love. I think that's something that this the text-to-speech space in general have struggled a bit with is that the quality has mostly been good enough for like boring corporate voiceovers and things like that. But now I think they're getting to the point where they can actually tell stories, they can make us feel something. And I really believe that's going to unlock uh, a bunch of, of, of new awesome stuff. Excellent. So, Freddie, I want to get your thoughts as well. Uh, what, what should Amazon be uh, doing in the next chapter? Uh, I think they're still looking for that killer app, right? I think you know, majority of us are using it for playing music and um, adding things to the shopping list or, or you know, to-do lists and things like that, um, which is great. I use it. I mean, I've got devices all over my house and in my car and everywhere, and we use it a lot. But um, for what, you know, with what we do here, Walter's Clure Health, uh, everything is focused on patient engagement and health, right? And so I think one lacking we we worked with amazon with the we were on the hipaa eligible uh, program where we worked closely with the team to develop a skill uh version of our ivr programs and i'll tell you though you know people don't like to answer the phone right a lot of times they're like oh the phone rings i never answer it i don't talk on the phone anymore but you know what everybody knows how to use the phone like it's so easy we've had it forever it rings you touch a button and you just start talking to it right um, there's too much friction when it comes to uh, working with patients on these echo devices. And I think they need to find a way to make it seamless because then you've got this, you've got, uh, you can enable telehealth, you can enable, you know, automated health, you can enable um, the delivery of the prescriptions and the booking of appointments. And it's all pretty easily integrated from that point because you their ecosystem is all encompassing, right? And so I think from a health perspective, they need to figure out how to make it really seamless and super easy. If you've got an interface like, you know, ChatGPT needed that simple chat interface to, to really break through. And I, I still think the Echo, I know it has this easy to use voice interface, but when it comes to health, you have to do account linking and you have to install the skill, you got to do account linking and all this stuff. But like, my phone rings and I just answer it and I can talk to an Emmy program, you know, a Walters Kluwer program, and it's super easy and it needs to be that easy. So that's my opinion. What they need to do next is, is really simplify that and, and try and take over health. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, no, that's, that's, yeah. Uh, that, that's a great thought. Molly, same question to you. Uh, what should be next uh, on Amazon Alexa 2.0's radar? Well, I, I agree with Freddie Bradley. I think that healthcare is an important area. I think because Alexa is already in the home and we have Siri and we have these tools that are already part of our daily lives, I think that healthcare is a natural fit. And I think also that the ability to um, communicate, ask questions, clarifying questions to really dig down and understand what the issues are for the patient that is at home um, also telemedicine and remote monitoring is an important aspect of that. So I think that healthcare 
in the home and making that um, more useful is important. Uh, so that would be one thing. I think the other thing that would be interesting to see Amazon get into um, is, is the educational aspect and using this technology for helping educate in terms of critical thinking. So if we could you raise emotional intelligence along with critical thinking in our younger people as they navigate the complexities of this world that we are developing in real time, I think that that would be an area for good that Amazon could be involved in and would increase its brand equity because of those two areas are um, sort of the softer side of things in terms of education and healthcare and um, critical to the success of us as human beings and society. I like that. Yeah, no, that's great. Shamala, I'm going to give you the last word. Uh, what should uh, Amazon be doing with Alexa in the next chapter to come? Yeah. Having been part of Amazon and having seen the entire spectrum, you know, the growth and fun and everything, I have a very different opinion than um, how others are thinking here. In the sense that uh, they have the technology, they have to think about decoupling everything. Right now, it's the ecosystem they have or the way they are thinking about Alexa devices, right? It's like, oh, okay, I want to create Alexa in the car, so let's create an SDK. Or they think about, uh, okay, for hotels, so let's deploy Alexa devices everywhere. But the underlying things or the use cases are limited, like Freddie mentioned, like I only use for music or reminders, uh, uh, right? Or uh, maybe setting timers and things like that. So the use cases are not beyond that. It's not going to change. It's the mental model because where it is deployed and how it is deployed, right? If we have to really think about deploying or leveraging Alexa in healthcare setup or things like that, Instead of uh, coupling it with the device or instead of coupling it, like this is how it has to be. Like I'll give you an Alexa device, which has a skill or maybe, you know, uh, you can create your own skill kind of thing. Skills, we have to kill that, you know, and, and um, it may frustrate many people when I say that, but it's not helping. It's not discoverable. There's many problems. And that is the whole reason. Like, although we have thousand plus skills, many of them people don't even use. And Amazon is trying very hard to promote and push and show uh, like, okay, you have these skills. Can you try it? And things like that through their uh, displays and all, right? None of these things will work. They have the core technologies. You have the ASR. They have the text-to-speech. They have the natural language processing. Instead of, you know, um, linking it all together, they should decouple it and allow customers to leverage these technologies and then create their own uh, experiences, whatever they want to create, whether it is uh, creating a customer care experience end-to-end, -end, leveraging the entire ecosystem, or whether it is to create a custom voice, right? Right now, creating a custom voice is a painful process. Like you have to fill it, fill a form. There's no autonomy at all. Amazon will do everything for you. Like allowing a self-service kind of experience, they already have the capabilities, but allowing those kind of things will definitely take them to the phase two of things. Otherwise, we will end up into the same situation. Like people will have an interest, there's a hike, and then we'll see the downfall and we're like, okay, yeah. Because that's always there with technology and it will happen with ChatGPT as well at some point. No, I like that. That's a great way to end. You know, basically advocating for taking one step backward to take two steps forward. And um, yeah, no, I think that's great. Look, the comments uh, and the commentary uh, from y'all has been awesome. Thank you for taking the time, uh, sharing your time, sharing your expertise. Uh, with not just me, but the audience as well. It's greatly appreciated. For this weekend, voice. Thank you, Patrick. Yeah, thank y'all. Appreciate it. Um, y'all were great. So for season eight, episode two of this weekend, voice. Thank you for listening on your podcast provider of choice. Watching, if you're watching on YouTube. Until next time. <laughs>